It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This episode is going to be similar to one that I did recently in that I'm going to be answering some interview questions. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's interesting and I've been approached for some written interviews more frequently than usual. And I had a different topic in mind today, but I'm actually glad that I'm going to do this topic instead because the other topic, I want to spend a little bit more time researching because it's based on a book that I'm currently reading. And I thought, maybe it'd be better if I finished reading the book before I talked about it. I'm really excited to share that with you as a little teaser to an upcoming episode. Today's interview questions come from a really special place, which is from somebody who's at the college that I graduated from, Emerson College in Boston. For those of you who haven't heard me talk about my experience at Emerson before, which has actually only been in a few episodes I found out. I went back and tried to find references to Emerson. I talked about it with the guest Adam Garrett Clark, who I went to school with. I talked about it in, I think, the third episode of this show where I spoke about my journey up until this podcast. And a few other times I've, I've mentioned it. I went to Emerson College to study film production. I minored in psychology and ended up becoming a content creator. And these interview questions are coming from someone who needed to interview someone in their field because this person who is going to remain anonymous just to protect their privacy is studying podcasting as well as I think, was it film production? I think podcasting might have been like their minor, which is so cool because... That was not an option. I'm, I don't know if podcasts were like what stage they were at. I don't know that far back in the history of podcasting beyond the boom that podcasting has experienced in the past five to 10 years. But podcasting has actually been around for a lot longer than a lot of people realize. When I was going to Emerson, there were broadcast journalists, which did not appeal to me at all. In hindsight, how cool would it have been? given that I now do so much work in podcasts, I really did not expect my career to go in this direction. I thought for sure that I was going to work in filmmaking for the rest, if not most of my life. I was that passionate about it. I grew up loving video production. And video production actually wasn't even really a career to my recollection. Emerson College might have done it like in media development or something, but it was always classified as film, the actual uh, art of film versus video. And, and video was kind of looked down upon. And now that digital content is so big, which it wasn't at all when I was a creator, uh, when I was studying at Emerson. It's just so neat that we don't fully know what's going to be ahead of us. That's one of the things I've been reflecting on since this person sent me these questions. I've been thinking about how we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it, 
I think a lot of us have been conditioned to think in terms of a five-year plan, you know, but we don't know what's even going to happen tomorrow. Maybe we can predict it a lot better than we could a year from now, five years from now. But especially with the internet evolving so quickly, there's just so many unknowns. And I'm learning to be more comfortable with that and embrace the unexpected. And in hindsight, looking back where I am now versus where I was studying film production in college, I'm glad that things evolved the way that they did. I wish I had had that option because as I've spoken about in the past, the film industry as a whole did not suit me. That's why I left it. The There are a lot of elements of that world that just don't resonate with me. And content creation, working for myself, doing most things on my own works a bit better. And I kind of wish I could transport myself back to college and think about the struggles and how maybe constrained I felt. Because I think back then, I just thought there was like one or two ways to become a filmmaker. It was like, go to film school and then work in Hollywood. There were also examples, I think, Quentin Tarantino. There were examples like him. I'm pretty sure he didn't go to film school. So if that is the case, I, I at least had this general idea of filmmakers like him that were breaking the mold and not doing it in a traditional sense. There were also a lot of conversations about like which school you went to and how much of an impact did they make, right? So there was there was a lot of structure involved that part of, of which I thrived in and part of which I probably didn't feel that comfortable in, but just didn't think I had an option. So anyways... Today's episode is going to be about these podcast questions I was sent. I actually have not read them. I scanned a couple words, but I did zero preparation or thought before this. I just thought it'd be fun to press play and then I can transcribe this into my answers. And I don't know if these questions are going to be public in any way or just used within the classroom or something. I'm not quite sure of the context. So maybe you're seeing something that will not ever be made public beyond this podcast. All right. Number one, in the past decade, there has been a gigantic boom in the podcast industry with some of the biggest genres being comedy and lifestyle. Calling podcasting now a quote subculture would be an understatement. Why do you think podcasts have become so important or even sacred in a diehard podcasting fan's life? Why do I think I'm thinking this over? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think that podcasting feels very intimate in a lot of ways. It really depends on the type of show. Certainly there are shows that feel very produced, that feel almost like an audio version of a documentary or a television show or a movie. But for the most part, I've perceived podcasts as giving you an inside look into somebody's life or sharing information that is hard to find or not even available beyond that. When I think back to my beginning, my introduction to podcasts, I remember them when I was working at the Apple store, of course, because Apple podcasts has been a huge part of the podcast world. In fact, I think even the origin 
of the word podcast comes from Apple, like the iPad, I mean the iPod (laughs) and casting as in sharing. I remember describing it back then, which would have been probably 2005 or six, the early days of me working for Apple. Podcasts back then seemed like free education. And I remember feeling a bit in disbelief, like, wow, like, why is this free? Because there wasn't really anything else like that at the time. It was a foreign concept. It, I think audiobooks, well, I guess audiobooks have been around for a while, like books on tape. I remember when I was really little listening to audiobooks on DVDs, and now you can download them through a device like your phone. That's been around for a long time. And podcasts in the early days seemed to be very centered around teaching you something. And it was an amazing source of free information. I think also some colleges might have put classes or or lectures on podcasts. So it was this amazing opportunity to learn for free. And also back then in 2005 or six there wasn't a ton of free information. There were a lot of blogs developing around that time. And those were a little bit more opinionated. But it felt like in the early days, it was like professionals putting together that educational info. And I think that was very exciting. Then I started listening to podcasts around 2013. I remember one of the first shows that I listened to was called Smart Passive Income by Pat Flynn, who I later have had the privilege of connecting with on a number of levels. And I really got into his show, was a big fan. I would listen to most episodes of that show back then because he structured his shows in a way that really taught me something. And I was simultaneously hearing about his journey. I related a lot to Pat. We actually both started our content creation careers around the same time, either somewhere between 2008 and 2010, the two of us were getting things going with blogging. And I loved learning from him and his guests about monetization. And what drew me into that show, and I think is still true today with a lot of shows, is hearing the journey that you can relate to. Hearing somebody that seems very similar to you discuss how their career has gone and the tips that they've learned along the way. So it's felt intimate in that sense because it isn't like a book. Audiobooks are wonderful. I actually listen primarily to audiobooks. I rarely listen to podcasts, believe it or not, because I like the structure of audiobooks. I feel like I I can trust them. They've been edited in like a really deep written way. They've just been polished. However, I like the lack of polish that a lot of podcasts have. And my show has always been centered around that authenticity, that unedited feeling, that connection that I'm a real flawed human being who's sharing the ups and downs of my life along with my guests. And that is the feedback that I've received from others. And I think that's why podcasting has grown so rapidly recently as it's moved away from the polished, aside from, again, those those exceptions of categories that are designed to be polished, like uh, a lot of the true crime shows. In my head, I think of them like Serial being one of the big breakout hits and, and actually one of the most successful podcasts that might have even 
driven the podcast industry because it also became very bingeable. So that's part of what a lot of shows offer is that you can't wait to listen to the next one, very much like a TV show. And then the other category of podcasts being about people and their lives, it feels a lot like a YouTube vlog series. Like, And again, this is probably why I've thrived here. And something people have said to me in the past when I was really heavily focused on YouTube was people just liked me and my life and they were just interested in whatever I was doing. And I felt the same way about a lot of YouTubers and probably would if I listened to podcasts more frequently. So I think that's become important because it connects people. And sometimes people don't want to just sit down and watch a video. They just want to listen. This is what I like is if I'm driving for a while, if I'm on a road trip, I'm not going to watch a video because I'm (laughs) watching the road. So I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm feeling connected to someone, I'm thinking about things. And if I'm doing chores, household work, if I'm taking a long walk or something, those are times when I'm listening to something because it's also a form of entertainment along the way. And it kind of distracts me from the mundane parts of life. Second question, as a self-proclaimed introvert, is there something the presence of the microphone does that makes you more comfortable talking to hundreds of thousands of people? These are great questions. (laughs) This like makes me so happy because this person really thought through and gave, did some research on me, but also like really gave great thought. So I just feel so honored to have these. How would I answer that? I do think it is the microphone that makes me feel comfortable. I mean, public speaking is a place that I thrive I wouldn't say I'm always comfortable with it. I get very nervous about live talks and live videos, whether that's in person, whether that's through a live stream. For instance, I did a presentation earlier today that was live for a small group of people. And I remember feeling nervous right before I started, but I was also very excited about it. I felt that way speaking publicly to teaching, going back to my Apple Store history... Uh, For a huge chunk of my time at Apple, I taught classes and the stores that I've worked in had stages, either like, well, not always literally a stage. They, there was like a, a podium with a big projector screen and a, a theater. So that's what we called it at Apple, a theater. And people would come and listen to me talk about usually a piece of software, sometimes some hardware, and I teach them. And I thrived. I loved that. I don't remember getting nervous doing that. I think I felt very comfortable doing that. And it was just so satisfying. Speaking on an actual stage at a live event always makes me nervous, but deeply excited. I I just like shine. And, and I would like to pursue that more. It's just felt a bit intimidating to me as a career. So I think podcasting works for me because yes, there's the comfort of being at home where I currently record my shows. Yes, I'm sitting in front of a screen and not with an audience. So that reduces a lot of my nerves. I know that my shows can be edited, although they're very lightly edited, if at all. This show is the most edited out of any show that I do. The rest of my shows are not edited currently. So yeah, I think um, the introvert side of it is interesting too, because part of my recent journey is 
trying to figure out, am I actually introverted or do I just have anxiety? And so the nerves that I think are part of anxiety, but sometimes nerves are just connected to excitement. I don't get anxious for the most part before I start recording, unless I'm having a day where I'm filled with anxiety. I don't get anxious unless I'm feeling like a time crunch or I'm tired or I feel like I have to do it, you know, but there's something about turning on my set, my podcast setup and pressing record that lights me up just like I was describing with the stage. So yes, to answer this question, it is comfortable, more comfortable than being live virtually or in person. I feel more at ease, but I don't know if it's quite an introverted thing. I think it's probably, <laughs> it just feels easier. It feels less stressful. It feels like less pressure. I will say that sometimes I get really vulnerable and mostly towards the end of recording. And I start to second guess myself. I start to think, did I do a good job? Was it a bad episode? Is this going to be something people are interested in? I start to doubt myself. Sometimes I feel a bit of imposter syndrome. Sometimes when I release an episode, I get really nervous that I'm going to get bad feedback. I'll sometimes get in my head looking over numbers as I've talked about in a recent episode. That actually tends to hit me a lot. And then it's also a bit uncomfortable when I'm talking about my podcast to other people in person, I feel sometimes insecure about it. So it's interesting. There's a lot of ups and downs of the podcasting experience that are not just limited to the recording. I guess I wouldn't say that my introversion plays a huge role. Another example of where it might though, is when Jason was hosting, co-hosting the show with me, my introversion got really triggered because when I'm around an extrovert like him, I tend to become very quiet. Once Jason left the show, I had to step into a different role as the only host of the show. So when I have a guest on, I find myself really more energetic. I find myself more confident because I have to be. When it was Jason, there were times where I would just want him to take the lead. And I, you might have noticed if you were listening to episodes back then that I might not say very much in a guest episode. Jason would do a lot of the talking. And it's been really interesting noticing how it has very been very circumstantial. It depends a lot. There are also times with certain guests that I feel a bit intimidated by. Maybe they make me a little bit nervous. So it takes me some time to get into my rhythm. Again, much like speaking on an actual stage or speaking to a live audience online, the beginning feels a bit awkward to me. But then once I get into my flow, everything melts away and I don't feel introverted at all. Question number three. As someone who has spent a lot of time in both Boston and New York, what's something business-wise you wish you could take from each city and give to the other? Ooh. So I don't know if this question is like just about New York and Boston. I'm going to answer it that way. And then maybe I'll also add on the Los Angeles experience. So I grew up in Massachusetts. 
Boston has a very special place in my heart, a lot of nostalgia from being a little girl going into the city and then deciding to go to a college in the city. So it certainly feels special to me. And business-wise, it feels a little on the corporate and like rigid side, I guess. I don't know if that's quite the right word. Boston feels a little bit cold, I would say. It certainly has a nice, sweet feeling to it. It feels, for the most part, from what I recall, I don't spend a ton of time there now, but when I was in college, it felt very safe. When I visit, it feels a little bit intimate. And on the business side, though, considering both my parents used to work in Boston... I always got this impression that it was a bit traditional. When I went to Emerson, I saw a lot of the artistic side of it with the theater. So the theater element of of Boston feels present, but nowhere near what it does in Los Angeles or New York, mostly New York on the theater side. And that's why I felt eager to go to a different city. In fact, this question is very relevant because... I really wanted to go to New York City. Before I went to Emerson, I wanted to go to NYU, New York University, specifically Tisch School of Arts, because I had it in my head that if I went to that school, I would be a successful filmmaker. Later found out that was not true. And New York, though, had this different feeling, especially from an artistic expression that I've never quite felt in Boston. There is a buzz and an energy to New York. There is something that drew out and still does to this day whenever I visit a side of me, almost like a poetic side and a passionate side. And I think this is why a lot of creative types thrive in New York versus I don't feel like I know a lot of people who are like, I'm going to go to Boston and become... A filmmaker. I'm going to go to Boston and be a, a f- star on stage. You know, that is usually attributed to New York and Los Angeles. So it makes sense that those have felt that way. So if I were to, to take from each city and give to another, I would want New York to feel a little bit more intimate, a l- little less competitive, and much safer. Right now, I'm recording on April 13th, and I think it was yesterday that there was a really awful incident on the subway in New York City that super unsettling. A lot of people started talking about how unsafe New York has felt recently. And that's sad. So that is an element that I really appreciate about Boston. But what I would add to Boston from New York City is more buzz, more fluidity, more creativity, more inspiration. And less of a rigid corporate feel. And both cities kind of feel cold in their own way. Maybe that's because I live in Southern California that feels very warm on a number of levels, not just the weather. But Boston and New York, even in like, well, I guess in the summer and spring, they don't feel quite as cold, but it's cold in the sense that people are not as warm or welcoming. Whereas in LA, it's like everybody just seems very friendly. Sure, there's competition here, 
but it's a different feeling of competitiveness that I've, than I've noticed or experienced in New York City. So if I were to take elements of New York City and Boston and bring that to LA, certainly the subways would be nice. We don't really have that culture here in LA. All the driving around can feel frustrating. Although driving in New York City and Boston is not very pleasant. Uh, it's just a little different. I would take away the chaos of New York City, which I don't really feel in Los Angeles. Los Angeles feels more at a nice pace. It has elements of chaos, but not nearly to that extreme. And I like the theater side of New York. I think that feels really special, even though that's not part of my work. I would like to see more theatrical elements. LA does have some phenomenal theaters, and I've been to only a few of them, but I just feel like it's not the same. You know, New York, when you go to Broadway or off Broadway, it's just like, it just, it feels different. It's hard to even describe. And you just don't quite get that here in LA. Fourth question. This is a very specific one. In the episode, Social Acceptance, Introversion, and Being a Wonder Junkie, you say you were <laughs> you say you were voted teacher's pet in high school and continued your academic routine in college and even recently in yoga class. What's an unrecognized benefit of being a teacher's pet and does it still help you today? I love these questions. Like this person could like become an incredible inter- interviewer. Maybe that's what they're thinking about for podcasting because these are like, I I almost want to hire this person to come up with questions for my guests. Okay. (laughs) So the teacher's pet thing. Well, I was thinking about recently how it's possible I became a teacher's pet because I've always liked sitting in front or maybe not always, but later in high school and throughout college, I would sit in the front row of class for the most part. And I think that developed out of my realization that I could focus more when I didn't have the distraction of other students sitting in front of me. It also allowed me to connect with the teacher more. And I really noticed this in college. I have vivid memories of sitting in the front row and getting to know my teacher. Depending on the class, that was a huge advantage Because if when I got to know the teacher, they would give me special attention. They would help me out more. I had certain teachers that I really felt like were invested in me succeeding in class. And so when it came to assignments or tests or big projects, we already had a rapport so I could ask some questions and succeed more. I think some of that is because of my neurodivergence and struggle learning. So A, I was the focus side of things worked much better in me getting better grades. I was also able to understand information better because I was focused, because I was making eye contact with my teacher, because I could turn to them for help when I didn't understand things. Sitting in the back of certain classes, depending on the class size, it might be so distracting because people might talk or they might be falling asleep or they might just be so distracted themselves, I would get distracted by their distraction. And I think that 
that connection has always been what I've been after and being present has really worked. And if I were to translate that over to podcasting, connecting with someone, making eye contact with them, focusing on them, showing your interest in them, they respond to you differently. I certainly notice this with teachers. I think when you're a student, you don't realize you've like no conception about what a teacher goes through, right? You're so wrapped up in your own life, especially in high school when your hormones are raging and and college too, you feel so confused and all over the place. And like college is, is rough emotionally. And so you lose sight of the humanity of a teacher. And over time, I've recognized that when you connect with someone, when you not only see their humanity, but you acknowledge it, they are most likely to give that back to you in return. And on podcasting, many guests have told me that I treat them differently than other podcast hosts do, which is a bit surprising. But I think what happens similar to school is people tend to get very transactional. It's like, I'm going to this class, I'm going to show up on time, I'm going to submit my assignments, and then I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. When I got into my, quote, teacher's pet mode, I was able to be very present about what was happening then and not just see it as a class, not just see that as a teacher, but, but honor it for the value it had in my life. I was able to get more information out of it, to understand it on a deeper level, and also give gratitude to that person, much like I would with a podcast guest. When I'm very present to a podcast guest, I ask better questions, much like this, these interview questions, right? This person who sent me these questions is doing their research. They've seen me. And that gives makes me feel better and makes me want to give very quality answers. Just like a podcast guest, when I'm asking them questions that are deep and rich and connected to them, and I show that I'm valuing them, they're more likely to add more value to the show. They're more likely to connect with me as a human being. And when you connect with someone as two human beings in a very present way, it enriches the entire conversation. At school... I don't even think I realized that that was happening. Aside from the fact I knew there was an advantage of getting the teacher to like me because sometimes they would even just give me special attention, you know, like I would see them notice me. I would see them light up when I walked in the room and they would say my name, you know, like I've always liked special attention, right? I don't know if that's just an ego thing or a neurodivergent thing where like I get that dopamine hit from feeling special. And I think that was part of the reason I became a teacher's pet. <laughs> Mostly though, I would guess that happened out of a strategy. Like I'll get better grades if my teacher likes me because then I can talk to them, connect with them, understand them better. And if I need any special help, they'll be more willing to provide it to me because they know that I really care. And the care side of things has really been a big advantage across all of my work. I think this is one, two, the fifth question. 
Having a passion in psychology and minoring in it in college credited to your psychology teacher in class in high school, are there any other psychologists or psychology theories that you incorporate into your life? And for context, yes, I had a phenomenal psychology teacher when I was in high school. Speaking of connecting with somebody, her name was Miss Deneen. And was that her last name or her, or her first name? Hmm. I haven't thought about that. I know for sure Deneen was either her first or last name. And now I'm like, was it the first? Oh, no, I think her name was Karen Deneen. Now they think about it. And she was just this wonderful, smart woman, funny, sarcastic. I loved the way that she interacted with the class. I felt like everybody in there was like on the edge of their seat because she put her personality into her teachings. And I started to become very enthusiastic and interested in psychology because of her. I don't remember being interested in before. It was just like a class you had to take in high school. That led me to minoring at Emerson College, which was like a weird minor to have because Emerson is a very artistic school. I don't even remember how I decided to minor in it. I think I just wanted to continue my psychology education. And... In terms of this question, I'm not quite sure if I'm understanding it properly. So let me see. I guess that I'm... Have I added that into my life? Yes, absolutely. I think my work and my passion for mental health and well-being is certainly influenced by psychology, right? What does a psychologist do? They help people with their mental health. They help people navigate their well-being. And I've said before that sometimes I wonder what life would have been like for me if I had pursued a career as a psychologist. I certainly think I would enjoy it. But the elements of making content and creating things continue to be a huge part of my life. And so I can kind of merge the two together as a mental health and well-being focused podcast host. And that work has continued and been a thread through in my life in that my Beyond Measure community is centered around well-being and mental health. My work in Web3 is becoming niched in well-being. I think it's very needed in that space and that's probably going to be a huge part of my work. My work in social media has also been deeply influenced because not only maintaining mental health and well-being while using social media personally, while using it professionally, but also understanding psychology is a phenomenal marketing strategy. Because when you understand human beings and their behavior, you're better able to communicate with them and tell them about your products and services. So Psychology really ends up playing a role in everything that I do. And I have actually been considering taking a well-being coaching certification, not only to get that certified you know, badge or whatever <laughs> certification, but to better understand people so I can better communicate as a podcaster and a content creator, better support clients as a coach and better understand what people need when it comes to marketing. 
This next question is a hard one. I'm going to have to do some digging here in my head. What's the hardest podcast you've ever done? The first one that comes to mind is the episode I did announcing that Jason had left the show, mostly because I was really scared of how people were going to respond. I didn't really know what to say. I didn't know how I wanted to talk about it. And I was nervous that listeners would abandon the show. And I I don't even really know if that happened or not. It's been kind of interesting observing the last four or five months since he left. So that comes to mind. There's certainly been other shows where I felt really vulnerable and unsure about it. Another one that was challenging was when I talked about being called out for cultural appropriation. A person saw my cookbook about the vegan keto way of eating. And they said that they decided not to buy the cookbook because I had a recipe in there. I I think, is it called a Buddha bowl? For reference, for context, I did not name that recipe or write it because my book was done in partnership with Nicole Dursway, my friend and a wonderful chef. And it was interesting to get that feedback because it was directed at me, not Nicole. And I felt really bad. I had actually never thought about the name of a recipe being cultural appropriation. So it was a great education for me. It was very humbling. I felt a bit uncomfortable talking about it, but it ended up teaching me a lot. So I don't know if it was the hardest, but it was definitely up there. Trying to think if any guest episodes were really hard. Most of those, I would say it's the solo episodes, which are are the episodes like this one I do on Monday by myself. I might end up coming up with another answer, but if I had to pick one right now, in recent memory, it's that one with Jason. Okay, three more questions left. It seems like helping people and talking about the business aspect in people's lives is as important as the healthy and joyful lifestyle. What is it about helping get people's lives back on track that is so appealing to you? Absolutely. Business plays a huge role in my work. In fact, right now, that's the majority of my work. I used to really focus on healthy eating, healthy living. And also the word healthy is not one I actually use very much, unless it's like mental health, yes. But over time, health has started to mean different things to me than it did in the beginning. Going back to like cultural appropriation, another thing that I've learned recently is the racism embedded in the wellness world, given that it's been dominated by white people. There's a lot of messaging that does not incorporate marginalized people. There's a lot of privilege built into wellness and health. I don't want to be part of that anymore. There is a lot of misinformation, in my opinion. There's a lot of infighting, people disagreeing. I mean, there's a lot of tension and argument and lack of unity that I felt in the health and wellness world. And there's also a lot of it that does not feel authentic in the sense that it feels like it's become such a big business that it's been so 
influenced by capitalism. And a lot of the work I was doing was inadvertently part of that. You know, I wanted to be a full-time content creator. So I did a lot of sponsorships and affiliations and partnerships. And like, they weren't always in deep alignment with who I was. While I was working on all of that though, I learned a ton about marketing, entrepreneurship, monetization. And around 2014, I started helping more people with it. I had been supporting people with social media since about 2010. And a lot of business owners would come to me for help for that. In 2014 though, there was a shift in which I realized how many people needed support with monetizing their work. So I started teaching others about sponsorships and affiliate programs and products and all the things that I was doing and became very interested in that. Then I started getting more focused on social media. And now that I'm doing my work in Web3, which is a bit business influenced, and now that there's this whole terminology for the creator economy, that is like where my focus has been. And I end up either supporting people one-on-one or in doing trainings with people, working with businesses. And I think the reason it appeals so much to me is because it's like a skill set and a knowledge base for me that I can help people with. And I can infuse the messaging of well-being along the way. Last year in 2021, it really occurred to me that I would feel best talking about social media when it's an, there's a mental health angle to it. And I remember last year was July 2021. I did a talk at a business event and I really added in the well-being messaging because I realized a lot of people get so focused on making money and being successful that they are willing to compromise their physical and mental health. They stop sleeping a lot. They don't get enough sleep. They can't sleep. They just don't get rest. It's a huge issue. They may not be eating well for their body and thus not feeling that great. They may be loaded up on caffeine. They may be super stressed and anxious. I mean, the stories that I've heard from people when it comes to social media, content creation, and business are a bit horrifying. And it ties into a lot of that capitalism mentality of like doing whatever it takes, even if it sacrifices your your own well-being and that of other people. Earlier today, as another example, I was talking with a friend about Amy's Kitchen, who is currently being boycotted by a lot of people because of the way that they've treated their workers. And I was reflecting on how sad it is that a company like that, that has really made it easy for people to eat vegan and organic and however they define health, you know, you can go and grab a can of their soup or their frozen food or, or whatnot and feel like you're eating well because it's affordable and it's accessible. But then to hear that a company like that has had a lot of internal issues that don't fall into the ethics of someone like me who wants people to be treated fairly and equally. That's upsetting. And, and why does that happen? I mean, it's a complicated matter, but generally it's it's that money becomes more important than 
health. Money becomes more important than well-being and equality and people just being treated fairly. And I certainly don't want to support a business like that. So a lot of my work is becoming more and more rooted in combining health and business, combining mental health and business, well-being and business, finding ways to stay balanced, finding ways to keep things equitable. And I think that's why business has continued to be appealing to me and has evolved over time to become a big priority. Second to last question. What's one thing you wish you could change about podcasting today? Hmm. Podcasting feels a bit all over the place. (laughs) That's, That's the simplest way for me to describe it. First of all, it's tough to look at analytics. The analytics options for podcasting are a bit limited, but they're getting better. So I I wouldn't say that that's a big priority because I already see progress happening there. It feels all over the place in that anybody can start a podcast, which is great, but there's not a lot of structure. There are a lot of different options. Seems like everybody's doing it a bit differently. So it's like, it feels disjointed. The same is true for most of social media and content. Like it's very similar to YouTube, for example. Anybody can start a YouTube channel. However, I feel like YouTube still has a lot of like guidance. And that's probably because YouTube is a platform. And similar to TikTok, right? TikTok, anybody can start a TikTok. Anybody can be a content creator. But TikTok has like best practices. Podcasting, there's not like one dominant platform. There's platforms where you might listen to like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but they are not necessarily guiding you towards how you do a show because generally that would be done through either a production company or a host, a podcast host. I would be willing to guess that the majority of podcasters out there just pick a host that's the least expensive or free and they do their show and they kind of make it up as they go along and they distribute it to these platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So because of that, it just can feel really messy. You never really know what you're going to get. And I think sometimes podcasts get a bad rap for that. So, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that I think structure has its place and benefits. So I would maybe like to see a little bit more structure with podcasting as long as nobody gets left out, as long as it's still accessible and as long as people still feel like they can do it too. I think that's a really important part of content creation in general and definitely with podcasting. But that structure, you know, helps on both ends. It helps the listener. The structure also helps the creator. A lot of content, a lot of podcasts do something called pod fading, which is mean, which means beyond seven or somewhere between seven to 20 episodes, they'll give up and they'll never produce another episode. It's very common. I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but it's really hard to go beyond 20 episodes of a show without giving up on it. And I think part of that is because there's not a lot of structure. The analytics are all over the place. It's hard to monetize for some people. And they don't really get a lot of feedback. So I guess the other thing I would add, and maybe I would change my answer to say, I wish that there was more easier ways for people to participate. 
as I've mentioned, I really love input. I love making things feel participatory. And live podcasting, I think, may grow in popularity as a result of that so that listeners feel like they're part of the show. You know, like it feels a little weird for me to just sit here and talk the whole time without you responding. So I think it would be neat in the future if there was a more of a back and forth dialogue and that listeners felt empowered and valuable because you truly are. A podcast is nothing without listeners. And what I'm hoping, speaking of Web3 with things like cryptocurrency and NFTs and all of that, what a lot of, of podcasters are working on right now is that community development in which you can be part of the ownership of something like a podcast, meaning that you can buy into it and get benefits, kind of similar to Patreon, which a lot of podcasters currently use. In the cryptocurrency and NFT world, though, you'll have a bigger stake and be rewarded for it financially and with perks and with influence. And that's already changing. And I think that's very exciting. All right, last question. Ooh, this one, this is the easiest one for me because I could talk about this all day. The trouble is making it succinct. <laughs> Question is any advice for someone wanting to start a podcast? Yes. In fact, I am currently doing a program to be a certified podcast strategist. This is happening through the company that I work with, one of my clients. It's called Poditize. Poditize does this show. Meaning that after I finish recording it, I submit it to their team. They edit the episodes and they make the show notes that you see. They uh, do some of the social media, not quite on my end, but they do help with social media if I wanted it. But they're responsible for getting the show up and running and making and optimizing it. And they just launched a strategist program that I've been taking about halfway through right now. And I've learned so much about helping other people with their podcasts. I've been on the side casually helping friends and sometimes podcast guests with their show. People started hiring me. So I have two going on three shows right now that I've been hired for. One is called the Live E-Commerce Podcast for my client eStreamly. The other is called Essentia Rise and Thrive. We're working on season two of that show. And then I'm not going to tell you what the third one is, but I'll give you a little hint. It's something related to Web3. And I am in the process of figuring out whether or not I'm going to do a show with this other company. So all that to say that I've been really like getting passionate about helping people with a podcast. And I want to make it simple. So generally, it comes down to thinking about what you want to talk about and why and how can you set yourself up for success so you won't pod fade, so you won't give up after 7, 10, 20 episodes. And the question of why I think is the starting point for this. It's not whether or not you have something valuable to say because I'm sure you do. Everybody has something of value to share, truly even if it's something that other people are talking about you know a lot of a lot of shows talk about mental health and well-being but they're not me and that it comes down to you as a person if you're a host people listen for your personality 
right? Like the the information you share and your guests that you have are key, right? Maybe maybe you don't listen for me. Maybe you listen because what I say is valuable to you. But you probably wouldn't be able to make it through an hour long episode if you didn't like the sound of my voice or the way that I talk and my uh, pacing and whatever else. I'm sure I lose people as a result of it, but that's okay. So you are at the core of your show. You are what makes it unique and different. And your why is what's going to keep you going. Podcasting, as I mentioned, can feel a little bit all, all over the place. And as I talked about last week, actually, you know, it, it can be tough. Sometimes you're going to second guess yourself. Sometimes you're going to feel like an imposter. Sometimes you're going to feel frustrated. If you're doing it for money, generally not the best idea because money is not always easy to control. And as I pointed out in this episode, money has the ability to kind of corrupt you and, and make you make decisions that may not be in alignment with your true purpose. So if you can figure out what is it about podcasting that appeals to you and why do you think that you could commit to this? Because podcasting to be successful takes consistency. It takes... St- you know, making room in your schedule. I have to show up every week to record. I have to prepare things in advance. You know, there's a lot that goes into equipment, which can be expensive and hosting, which costs money. And if you want an editor like I have, that costs money. So do you have the financial setup for that? Or do you want to monetize it in a way that pays for those things? You can also do podcasting on a very limited budget though. I'm excited to say there are free hosting services I don't always recommend them, but they do exist. Probably already have a microphone. In fact, a lot of podcasters use either the headphones, the wired headphones that come with their phone, like the iPhone, or I don't think I have it at my desk. AirPods are actually a very common microphone and headphone combo that people use. Also some cons to that, but they're good enough to get started. And if you want a microphone similar to the one that I'm using, they start sometimes as low as like $20 or $30. So equipment, this is the next step, right? So if you figure out why you want to do it and what you want to say, then you figure out what equipment do you already have? Is that going to suffice? Or do you want to spend a little bit of money? Then you need to decide on a host. Podetize, by the way, as hosting services. They're because I've had such an amazing experience with them, they are the number one service that I recommend as hosting and as editing and all of that. And that's really it. Then you might want to use a platform like Zencaster. You've heard me mention in the past, if you've listened to episodes between January and March 2022, Zencaster actually sponsored this show. And I love them. I have a discount code for them, by the way. It's I'll put it in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And if you use the code wellevator, you get a discount on their paid plan. But you can actually use Zencaster for free. It's wonderful. So equipment, software like Zencaster, you could also use software built into your computer if you're not recording with guests. And so there are a lot of nuances when it comes to starting. You do have to make some decisions. And I've probably at some point will develop either a training video or a free PDF or something. If that's something you're interested in, I'm happy to share. I also have a blog post on wellevator.com from probably two years ago. Jason and I wrote a 
basic overview of how to get started. So if you want some more info and if you want suggestions on equipment, hosts, all that stuff, again, hosting, it it all comes down to podetize for me, but there are a few other options. And that's been my world. So I want to use this opportunity to share with you. I'd be happy to help and not necessarily on a paid level. If you have some basic questions, I'm happy to give you some free advice. I have noticed though, after going through the strategist program and doing some calls with friends, it's not super simple if you're going to take it super seriously. If you're just exploring it as a hobby, it's you could start up a podcast fairly quickly and inexpensively. But if you do want to pursue this on, on a level like I have, there are a lot of things to learn. But what I'm working on is simplifying it so that the steps do not feel super intimidating. For me, there were two major things that guided me when I first got started. One, well, actually two people in the very beginning. This was the first podcast I did was in 2015 called Real Influencers. And I wish I had kept going with that show. It's one of my regrets. But anyways, I use Pat Flynn, who I mentioned before from Smart Passive Income. I don't know if he still has it, but he had a great guide on podcasting that was free. Might still exist out there. I'm sure he has other courses that are paid. He has an amazing private community now where you can get in. But it's an investment because it's very much about entrepreneurship. So you're going to get high-level guidance there. Also back then in 2015, John Lee Dumas, who has the podcast Entrepreneur on Fire as one of the top podcasts that I've ever come across. And he had a free guide. Again, I don't know if it still exists, but that was those, those two people were really helpful. And I figured out the, base, the basics from them. And then Podetize really has been incredible. The advantage of Podetize, if you have the money to pay for it, is incredible coaching. I think their hosting plan comes with their their host or their coaching services. If you go to podetize.com, you can check it all out. Uh, you can always ask me questions. Even though they're a client of mine, I will do my best to give you unbiased information about them. But I always want to disclose that I I love them on so many levels that I def- I can't help but be biased towards them. So I would say if you can find a checklist a guide that just like brings you through it step by step, that's the best place to start. And know that you can do this. Know that I started with nothing. In 2015, like it was me and my friend Kobe at the time. And I had bought a Blue Yeti microphone, which is a really popular mic. And we just figured it out along the way. And then when Jason and I started this show in 2019, I felt like I was starting over. Um, because real influencers only lasted like a few months. We pod faded, actually. (laughs) Nobody knows what that term means. So in 2019, I think Jason and I might have even started recording in 2018. And we tapped into our why and we experimented. If you listen to the first few episodes of the show, I think I was still using my Blue Yeti. It took a while. Then then when we started working with Podetize, we each got Audio-Technica microphones, which you might have seen me using if you're watching the videos. They're 
they had like a rectangular shape on the top that said, this might get uncomfortable. It's one thing that Podetize will give you if you become a client of theirs. And then I graduated to this mic and it's these microphones have represented the evolution of my journey. And I just got into the world and started learning and connecting with people and studying it and practicing. And ultimately, that would that would shape all of my advice, actually, to make a concise answer to this question is figure out your why. Come, Let me lay it out. I guess this isn't... Okay. <laughs> it's hard to make this advice concise. Figure out why you want to do this. Set a schedule for yourself and commit to recording 20 episodes. Put it down. Even if if it takes you 20 weeks to get through it, put it on your calendar. Come up with a schedule and record those 20 episodes. Ideally, record as many as you can in the beginning when you're excited. So you might want to do like five episodes in the first week or two, right? Like just to like get out the excitement and get that momentum. Then you figure out all the details of what host you're going to use, which is the most important question. And once you made that decision, put out those episodes into the world and stay in that experimental mindset. Look at it as something that you're figuring out as you go along and always stay rooted in your why. That is the absolute best advice I could give because it is a journey. It has lots of ups and downs, just like any other type of content. But if you stick with it, it has got amazing rewards. And this isn't something that I was asked, but I'll add this as a bonus. Podcasting has taught me a lot about myself because I talk about myself. Podcasting has connected me to incredible guests. The people I meet are unbelievable. I hope you feel the same way, but like... I'm constantly meeting new people because I have a new guest every week on this show. And I have since the very beginning. And this show, let's see, it launched in December 2019. But Jason and I started recording. I think our very first guest was in August 2019. So it's coming up pretty quickly on three years of guest recordings for every single week. And that exposes you to a lot of people. That's probably my favorite part of all of this. But I've also had sponsors. That's been nice. I've got clients. People have hired me for social media consulting, podetize. That's how they became my client is because of this show. And because I put the show on their platform, the founder got to know me and she said, Hey, you're really good at social media. Will you help us? And I've been working with them for... I don't know if it's been two years yet, but they've just been an amazing client. And, you know, Eastreamly, can't remember if that came out of podcasting or not, but, you know, I do their podcast, Essentia, one of my favorite companies of all time. I mean, all these cool opportunities I've had because I've learned how to be a podcaster. So if any of those things appeal to you, let me tell you it's worth it. And as I said at the very beginning of this episode, None of us have any idea what's going to happen in the future. Podcasting could become irrelevant in five years. And that's okay because it will evolve somehow. And even in the worst case scenario, if 
all of this podcasting experience does not lead to anything in my career, I can tell you with full certainty and confidence that I've enjoyed it. And that's what keeps me going. I just enjoy it. It suits me. I like talking. I like meeting people. I like connecting with you. And that's what keeps me going. So no matter what happens with my podcasting work, I have felt joy. I feel like that's a good note to end on. So thank you for listening. Thank you immensely to this person who asked these wonderful questions. I am thrilled to be able to give back to other students at Emerson, which was such a wonderful educational experience for me. And I will be back with another episode soon. Speaking of guests, behind the scenes, I have needed to book a big chunk of guests before I go on my next road trip, which is coming up soon from the date this episode comes out. So I will be leaving for my road trip next week. So this episode comes out on April 25th and I leave in May, early May to go on this big road trip. And I've needed to book a bunch of guests to accommodate for my travel schedule. So I have one, two, one, two, three, five guests all lined up and they are all so interesting and unique. I've been really trying to get a true diversity of guests. That's something I strive for. It's not always easy, to be honest. I'm not going to go on a whole tangent about this side of things, but I could probably do a whole episode on working with guests. And anyways, I'm always thinking about podcast guests. And so I'm just like, want to make sure that I'm learning from them and you are too, or we're both feeling inspired. So anyways, that's coming up for you. And because I haven't recorded... Although the next guest that you're going to hear from after this episode, I've already recorded with. And this person is truly wonderful. In fact, we're working on a special project that I'm starting. And that all came... Speaking of a benefit, after we finished recording our podcast episode, we came up with an idea of something else to do together. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet because it's just in the beginning brainstorm phases, but I'm really excited about the possibilities of it. So stay tuned. I'll definitely announce that in the newsletter if you haven't signed up for that yet. That's just a great way to find out what I'm working on, what episodes are coming out. Stay in the loop. You can subscribe to that over on the podcast page at wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And... I'll make that announcement as soon as that happens. It's probably going to be part of the Beyond Measure community. So if you do want to join Beyond Measure, it's currently free. I am working on a paid element of that, whether that's going to be for everybody or just some members, I'm not sure. But that may happen. That's very likely to happen in the future. I just don't know when. So get in free while you can if you want to just try it out out of curiosity. And I will link to that in the show notes. It's also at WhitneyLauritson.com. I think that's it for today. So stay tuned. I'll be back on Friday and I'm wishing you all the very best with your life wherever that goes in the next few days. Bye.
Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.